Good morning, Freedom Center Church. So happy that you guys could join us today, whether you're at one of our campuses right now watching or whether you're online. We just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us today. Very, very excited about this sermon, but I wanted to start off with a story for you guys. So this is a top five moment of my life. You guys know those moments that you just look back on, you remember them, you tell everybody about them? Well, this was one of my moments. Back in November of 2021, I got the opportunity to go see the Michigan-Ohio State game. And I'm sure you already know what I'm going to talk about. And so I, I walked into this stadium. And as I walk into this room, there's a sea of maize and blue. And there's people everywhere. And there's so much excitement and so much hype. But all of the surrounding conversations were, will Michigan ever beat Ohio State again? Because it had been almost two decades since Michigan had last beat an actual Ohio State team that was worth anything, right? And so we walk into this stadium and I'm totally expecting Michigan to lose. I don't even, it's not even like a thought in my mind that Michigan's actually going to win, but I've never been to a Michigan-Ohio State game before, so I thought, let's just go ahead and see what happens, right? And actually, crazy enough, this is my wife's second game of her life ever going to Michigan. And so we were like, let's just go ahead, let's experience it, let's see what happens. We got a couple friends, we ended up going, and as I'm sitting there, um, you can tell as the game progresses that, that, that the energy is growing that uh, people are beginning to see, wow, this is a for real Michigan team. Like people are actually beginning to believe that there's a chance that Michigan could win this game. And so, you know, first quarter, second quarter happens. And second quarter, I believe we went in down by one or something like that, right? Third quarter comes around, fourth quarter comes around and you start seeing Aiden Hutchinson get some sacks and you start seeing points go up. And, you know, uh, we have Hassan Haskins who does this insane, like five touchdowns in one game and all this crazy stuff happens. And then, you know, the, the very last thing happens, the, the last second hits, and Michigan has won. We've vanquished Ohio State. We won 42 to 27, and everybody in the crowd, 115,000 people all rush the field. There's excitement, there's energy, there's hype. And I'm sitting back and I'm watching this and I'm taking it all in and I'm, I'm experiencing this. And what's funny is I've, I've told this story hundreds of times now because of what a great moment it was. Yet I have a hard time sharing with people my belief in Jesus Christ. There's something to be said about that. There's something to be said about the excitement that I experienced in one moment causing me to have to tell everybody about what had just happened versus my relationship with Jesus Christ. The thing that I hold in such high esteem, the the person who I hold higher than everything else in my life, and I don't talk about him nearly as much as I should, yet I have no problem talking about this Ohio State game that I went to that at the end of time legitimately means nothing, right? I want to talk to you guys about some stuff real quick today. Today we're talking about invitation, the power of invitation. And I want to talk to you specifically about why we invite and who do we invite. But first I want to talk about the source of our invitation. You see, the source of our invitation is the excitement in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It says in, uh, in Luke 6.45, it says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. My, my favorite version of that scripture says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let me ask you a question real quick, Freedom Center Church and all surrounding areas. What do you talk about? 
when you're with your friends, when you're with your family, when you're um, alone and you're in your thoughts, what are you what are you talking about? What is it that is stored up inside of your heart that ends up coming out? Because if it's not the love of Christ, then we need to refocus ourselves, make ourselves be more determined into our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because out of an abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There is an earnest need to invest into people's relationship with Jesus. But I want to talk about where this invitation begins because we we have to understand not just inviting people to church, but inviting people to Jesus, inviting people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The one who loves them more than anybody else will ever love them, ever could love them, is Jesus Christ. And so let's talk about our relationship with him first before we start inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. Because with the wanting to invite, the wanting to bring people into the church, the wanting for us to uh, share the gospel begins with our excitement with the relationship with the Lord. And so I want to take us to Matthew 22, 36 through 40. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, why did it even have to go in that order? Why did it have to be that way when it comes to our relationship with people? You see, because scripture also tells us that we love because Christ first loved us. We understand what it means to be loving because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We understand what it means to be excited about our relationship with the Father because of Jesus Christ, because of what he did for us. And then we have to go and we have to share that with the world that is around us. So what is the purpose of invitation and why do we invite? You see, it says in, uh, in 1 John four nineteen through 21, it says, like I just said earlier, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You see, invitation is an invitation to Jesus, not an invitation to church. And an invitation to Jesus is an invitation to experiencing what true love is. So church, we need to dive deep into our relationship with Christ in order to be able to go bring people into that fold. You see, I'm able to tell people about my wife all the time. I love my wife. She's one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me, um, second only to my relationship with Jesus. And I have no problem talking about her to everybody because of my devotion to her, because of how much I love her, because of uh, my relationship that I have with her. And when I, I want to introduce people to her, I'm always like, this is my wife. If she's ever there, I have to talk about her. I have to let people know how much I love her, how much I care about her, because that's the level of relationship that I have for her. And so whenever we take a look at that invitation to being in relationship, what I want us to take a look at specifically is Jesus himself and the way that he invited people to be in relationship with him. One of my favorite things that uh, that Jesus does in scripture is that whenever he asks people to follow him, he doesn't have to give them paragraphs and presentations and, uh, you know, uh, uh, scientific reasoning and all this stuff. He literally just says, follow me. He takes a look at men and he says, Follow me. 
There's no uh, uh, drawn out, well eloquent, you know, uh, uh, words. There's no sentence. He didn't write a formal letter or request. He didn't go to the parents and say, is it okay if I ask? He simply just said, do you want to experience this? Then follow me. And so when we take a look at a couple different stories like that, I want to take a look at Mark 1, 16 through 20. It says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets, and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Two words, follow me. He didn't try to persuade them. He simply said, come and see, follow me, be a part of my life, right? And so when we think about invitation, all too often we have to think about um, the, the simplistic nature of it, right? We build it up in our minds, inside of our, our heads, and we say, no, this is going to be difficult. You know, they may have different political beliefs than me. They may have, you know, different spiritual beliefs than me. They may not know God. They may be absent from God. There may be, you know, uh, they may try to ask me questions, but I'm not a philosopher. I don't understand this. We're not trying to get into that. We're just trying to simply have an invitation to fall in love with someone who loves them more than anybody else, being Jesus Christ. Follow me. Two words. Continuing on, we see in John 1.43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Matthew 9.9, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. It's not a bargaining of truth. It's not a refute of arguments. It's not trying to say, am I good enough for you to follow me? It's simply an invitation to say, follow me. If you want to experience what I have to offer, if you want to experience the fullness of what I have to offer, I'm simply asking you to follow me. It's a simple invitation. So now I want to take a look at who did Jesus call? We've taken a look at the basis of of our relationship with Jesus being the source of how it is that we invite people. We've taken a look at how Jesus himself invited people. But I want us to take a look at who did Jesus actually invite to follow him? Who was it that, that Jesus brought into his fold, into his 12 disciples? And let's go ahead and take a look at what we see. You see, Matthew was a tax collector. If you don't know what a tax collector is, it's somebody who was of Jewish descent, who ended up leaving the Jewish faith, who then ended up stealing from Jews in order to give to Rome. Rome was the big dog on the block at this point, and they were legitimately holding the Jews captive. And so anybody that was a tax collector was thought of as the lowliest of people because they abandoned their people to join the enemy me for personal profit, right? That's a hard person for other people to look at and say, I want to be like him. Yet Jesus looked at him and said, follow me. Like we saw in Matthew 9, 9, follow me, right? Now let's go ahead and take a look at the next one. You see, Andrew, Peter, James, and John were all fishermen, and they had they, they were fishermen slash they owned a fishing business. We could see that when they were the sons of Zebedee, that they were actually probably a little bit more white collar than they were blue collar because they were the ones who owned the fishing business, not so much just the ones who were actually fishermen. Yet two of them are also just fishermen. So we see this how we have blue collar and white collar coming together in that form. 
And Nathaniel, Thomas, and Philip were potentially also fishermen. We don't actually know what their jobs were, what their occupations were. But we do know that they most likely were just handymen who did stuff, right? And let's go ahead and take a look at the next one. Simon was a zealot. Not the Simon that was mentioned earlier in Scripture, but the other Simon. The first Simon that was mentioned in Scripture was actually Simon Peter. This one is Simon the Zealot. Now, what a zealot is, is a zealot is the person who is responsible for uh, raising an army in order to overthrow the government. They are, they are pretty much assassins to take out the governing entity that is over them. They were also religious. Their, their mindset was that when Jesus came back, he was not going to be a, um, a peacekeeper. What he was was actually going to be a ruler and who would help them overthrow Rome. And so in order to be ready for when they were going to overthrow Rome, they had to be ready in arms. They had to have, uh, they had to understand daggers and swords, fighting techniques, how to take out the, the biggest parts of their enemy to make their, their, their armies scramble. And so Simon right here was a warrior who was responsible for murdering people. And specifically, one of the great things that I would like to mention is anybody who left the Jewish faith was also to be murdered, especially if they were joining the Romans. And so when we take a look at Matthew and we take a look at Simon, we can see that even two of Jesus' closest followers were directly opposed to each other. And no one really knows what James or Thaddeus' occupations were. We really have no idea. But let's just take a look at the ones that we did see. You see in there we have law followers and we have law breakers, right? Oh, forgot to mention this too. Judas was a thief. Doesn't have a job. He was just a thief. That was, that was his entire thing, was to be a thief, right? So we have lawbreakers and we have law followers. We have blue collar and we have white collar. We have assassins and we have targets. That's my favorite one, the assassins and the targets. We have angry men. We have the sons of thunder who are ready to rain down hellfire on whoever decides to speak against Jesus and speak against the Jews and they are ready to attack and Jesus names them the sons of thunder. And we have peacekeepers. We have people who all they want to do is keep the peace, spread the good news, be with Jesus, love on him as much as possible. Like we see John being the disciple whom Jesus loved. We see all that stuff, right? We, we have angry men and we have peacekeepers. We have liars and we have truth tellers. We have people who are ready to go against Jesus. And we have people who are ready to follow Jesus with whatever it takes. We have all these things just in the 12 that follow Jesus. Just in the 12 that he looked at and he said, follow me. The list goes on and on of all the things that would separate them and make them divisive and make things more difficult for them to uh, continue on to complete the mission that Jesus had before them. But then we take a look, and I, I want us to take a look specifically at not just their, their qualifications, but their disqualifications as well. You see, because Jesus didn't just call rabbis. He didn't just call Pharisees or Sadducees or people who were used to uh, explaining the law, who had understood the Torah, who um, you know could recite Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy from heart, who knew every word, who had the, the who were fishermen. You see, uh, what we consistently see, but normally the people who are disqualified from human standards, being able to follow Jesus and live up to what Jesus actually has, they understand what it means to be at the very bottom and have somebody. You see, in Romans 3.23, it says, Glory of God. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The follower is none greater, though, than after he died. I want us to take a character uh, look real quick. I just, just see a summer testament. You see, there were the 12 disciples, but there was another one that, that Jesus called after he was already dead, and that was a man named Saul. 
who eventually would become Paul. It's 9, 1 through 6. But, and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way, before they were called Christians, it was called the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Like, there's a question, like, Lord, like, are are you the Lord? Are you, who are you? And why are you showing yourself to me right now, especially in a blinding light? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are pity, and you will be told what you are to do. It continues on from there in, in Acts 9, 10 through 18. So just a little, a little skip beyond that. It says, he figure that I want us to talk about in a second. The Lord said to him in a vision, and the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called straight. And at the house of Judas, behold, he is praying and he has seen in a vision, a man named Ananias, he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he immediately, something like scale, then he rose and was baptized. Saul went on to write 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. He wrote letters that we still begin to uh, quote every Sunday at church. His His weight of what he did to the world at one point made him the second most impact outside of Jesus Christ himself. They had him ranked above, um, you know, uh, the Elon Musks of the world and, and people like that. And they, they looked back at it and they said, no, no, no. No matter how much Elon Musk is the world, Paul still changed the world more. And the reason why we have what Paul was able to do in the New Testament it's because Ananias was willing to be faithful to God, to his relationship with God, to trust that God had his best in store because Paul had every right and every ability to keep him to do, to lead Paul to being saved. And yet we don't really see Ananias throughout the rest of scriptures, at least not nearly as often as we see Paul. An invitation, right? You may be vacations from, from me inviting them to church, but I want to take a look at a couple things again the farther we go down. You see, Ananias was obedient to the call that God had on his life. And each one of us has to Christ. It says in Romans 10, Then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful, but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for I have heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the which are responsible for this. You see, you hear teaching and your mind automatically goes to the pastors. If I, if I can just bring them to church, then at that point, the pastor can lead them to Jesus. I'm not calling us to that today. What I'm calling today is to talk campus, whether you're sitting in the Linden campus, whether you're sitting at home on Facebook, whether you're sitting um, in the Grand Blank camp, is not for just me or just for people with the first name pastor. It's for you. Pastor Carl's uh, word or, I guess, uh, sentence for this year is, oh no, you do it. I want us to have an understanding here that when I'm asking you to invite people into a relationship with Jesus, I'm not asking you to invite them just to church. 
I'm asking for you to be an example, the apostles, the uh, evangelists of whatever workplace you're in, especially if you're in a household where your kids don't know Jesus. I'm calling for you to be the pastor, reliant on the pastor that you see on the stage before you, but for you to take up the call because your feet are the beautiful feet that are written in here. The ones that spread the good news. All those who call themselves a follower of Christ are responsible for spreading the good news. And some of you right now, again, no matter how much I say it, are in the crowd right now saying, I'm disqualified from this. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've been going through. You don't know what I said last night. You don't. Let me tell you this real quick. Let's go ahead and take a look at a lot of characters that are found in the Bible. We see that Abraham was, Joseph was abused. Moses had an entire identity. He was a murderer years before that. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and had already killed tens of thousands of people and characterizes the man who was after God's own heart. Elijah was depressed and suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Peter denied Christ three times. Thomas doubted Christ. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times and Lazarus was dead. What's your excuse? What is it that you have inside of you that says, I'm disqualified from spreading the good news that set me free from my past? And I guarantee you there's a God that outweighs that. That's for your future. And there's nothing you can do to change that. Jonah tried to run. He legitimately tried to run. You have a calling on your life, church, that only you can do. There's no one else who can be the dad, kids, grandparents. There's no one else who can be the grandparent to your grandkids. You, to you, to be the pastors, to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth that is able to bring heaven to earth because of your relationship with Christ. Like I said at the beginning, all of the excitement, we need to get back to the heart with Jesus. We need to get God having that excitement all over again that may qualified. He's looking for you to be available. God's not, God's, God's looking for you to find time in your calendar to be with him. Some of you are saying, I just don't wonder. Find family time to be with God, not just on Sunday morning. I mean, next gen literally sends out questions and, uh, and years and below. And so every Sunday when you go home, you should have an eat in church. Bring that home and talk to them about it. The only that was perfect is Jesus and that is why we all need from doing the ministry that God had called them to do. And yet, God still used them. And in the same way that God wants to use you, he also wants to use the people that you're going to invite to a relationship with Jesus. We see that with Ananias at specific times. Saul, who became Paul, was used in missionary journeys for decades. It's important that we understand that. Romans 8, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one's absent from the love of God. No one is absent from the need of a Savior. The Bible tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags. And even if we were to try to live a perfect life, we would always come up short to recognize our need for a Savior. And not just whenever we feel new every day. He has something new for you every day. He has a new person. He has a new calling. He has a new mission for you every day. And if you let your head right at those foundations, 
we need to nurture and foster the fire that we have inside of us to connect with a loving God that desperately wants to be with us. From that excitement, from that fire inside of us that helps us connect to Christ is what helps us fall in love with people. And we fall in love with people we then can get them to fall in love with Christ. It's a cyclical thing. Then they get to spread. Then they get to spread. Then they get to spread. When we take a look even at the early church of how the the mission spread, you see Jesus had 12 followers that were dedicated, dedicated enough to the point where they were willing to die for what they knew, what they saw, and what they believed. And those people ended up believing so much. that Even as even as we take a look at, uh, at the beginning, whenever the, the, the people who all loved Jesus met in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came down and tongues of fire were, were resting on top of them, we see that Peter began to speak out to the crowd and we saw that he was, uh, he led, I think it was 3,000 to their number that day because of the confidence they spoke with him because he simply said, follow me. Paul even says, follow me as I follow Christ. Us today to say, follow me as I follow Christ. So I have two things that I want you guys to do. Number one, if you're sitting there right now saying, Pastor J.D., you just, you just called me to too many things. That's too many. I, I don't even know how to talk to people about Jesus. I don't even know about my relationship with Jesus. I don't, I don't know about the confidence that I have that he even exists. And let me tell you, number one, I would, I would like to invite you today into uh, understand. So number one is I want you to fall in love with Christ. Number two, if you're sitting there saying, I've fallen in love with Christ, but I don't know what the next step is. I don't know how to lead my friends to Christ. I don't know how to answer questions. I don't... Let's just take a look at one step. Maybe you should just invite someone to church for the first time and then sit down with the pastor and say, I want to lead this person to Jesus. How can I do it? And, and the pastor will sit down with you and help you lead that friend to Jesus and then send you out so that you can learn how the invite process. Invite people into a relationship with Jesus as you are in your relationship with Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ and see what happens. More people who show up to church on Easter Sunday than there will any other day of the year. Church, if you've been looking for a way to invite your friends, Easter's the best time to do it. So here's what I want you to do. Number one, if you haven't made a commitment to follow Christ, today's your day. Number two, invite them to church. Number three, if you've already confidenced or follow you as you follow Christ. It's a great way to start. Father, I thank you so much for the people who have joined us in these rooms, in the globe. Father, I pray that you would meet them right now in the moment as they experience you either for the first time, the hundredth time, the thousandth time, whatever it is. Father, I pray that they would be open and willing and ready to have an invitation. Father, we thank you for the cross and what that meant and now how we get to be in relationship with you. And we ask for you to have your way. We love you and we praise you. In your holy name we pray.